Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to you uh, who are here. Welcome to you who are watching uh, from home or a friend's home or wherever you are. We're in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and um, we have been talking about the good life. Uh, Kip started us off last week, um, had a lot of options for what we sometimes think of as the good life, and um, as he and I were, as we were talking about it, speaking to this team this week, the good life, I uh, wanted to make sure everyone knows, didn't, didn't start with Jesus. It started uh, back at the very beginning when God made everything. God, uh, the, the good life is not something that is brand new. It's not something that's part of the church era. It's something that is part of knowing God. So uh, I'm going to do a quick uh, review of blessing. Um, our sermon title, No Sepulchers, Please. Uh, we use the word sepulchers all the time, so I thought I would throw it in the title. <laughs> so we need to understand the context, and um, Kip did this for us last week, but I think that we can't understand it well enough. So we're going we're gonna to go back and we're going to talk about this idea of blessing real quick, because it's blessing that Jesus is talking about. So let's review it. Uh, we're not going to turn there. My notes will be online so you can get them or you can come down to me afterwards and I can photocopy this if you want. I get that. I get tons of that. People asking, clamoring. <laughs> it's almost too much. Cut it out. <laughs> but I will give that, this to you. So uh, Genesis 1.22, God has just created um, the fish and the birds. And it says, and Yahweh blessed them, or and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So blessing has to do from the very beginning with goodness, with um, prosperity, with fertility, with bounty, with health. And then he makes Adam and Eve and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. And it says, and he blessed them, be fruitful and multiply. And he gave them dominion. And so blessing has to do with health, it has to do with bounty, it has to do with blessing. Uh, blessing has to do with blessing, that's surprising. It has to do with dominion, it has to do with position. When Noah gets off the boat and God has just destroyed everyone and everything, it says that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. In the priestly uh, blessing, um, it's uh, numbers... I have a Kleenex there so I can find it real quick because I'm not going to have you turn there. I have way too much to say to have you turning with me. The priestly blessing, Yahweh said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how they are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Blessing has to do with protection with care, with preservation. In uh, Deuteronomy 28, right before the people are getting ready to go into the land, they are given the law yet again. And I'm going to read quite a bit here. If you fully obey Yahweh your God and carefully follow all his commandments I give you today, Yahweh your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord or obey Yahweh your God. Here's the blessings. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and your crops of your land will be blessed and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket. Your basket's going to be blessed. Your Longenberger basket. Do people still have Longenberger baskets? <laughs> they were really big in the 
80s. Um, your basket and your kneading bowl, your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you go out and blessed when you come in. Yahweh will grant that your enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee in seven. Yahweh will send a blessing upon your barns and upon everything you put your hand to. Yahweh your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Blessing has to do with reward and wealth and protection and care. That's what we see. Abraham comes along and he will be blessed and he will be a blessing and all the nations of the world will receive blessing through him. Have you read Proverbs? With righteousness, with, with obedience comes blessing and wealth and all of this talk all of this truth led to a false teaching. You gotta, now listen, because this is context. This is, this is what the rest of the sermon, and honestly, the rest of the book is doing. All of this led to the false teaching that was prevalent in Jesus' day, namely that one's relationship with Yahweh could be accurately evaluated by external appearances and that righteous standing was a matter of adherence to the literal word of the law. And Jesus hated that. And he's going to start to dismantle it. And you say, well, Sam, you just told us that blessing has to do with reward and, and prosperity and fertility. Yes, blessing does have to do with it. God's good gifts bring us good things. But the Pharisees had taught that you could look at someone and if they were healthy, if they had wealth, then you knew that they had right standing with Yahweh. Had they been blessed? Yes. God is able to bless the unrighteous. That's why he's able to bless you and me. So the Pharisees were teaching and the people believed and it had permeated their culture. This was so much what everyone of their day thought that Jesus is going to attack it and dismantle it and tear it apart and three years later his disciples are still not going to understand him. And the reality is you and I believe this. Our doctrinal statement may not believe it. But this is what we feel and this is what we think. If I obey God, if I do my devotions, if I'm serving at the church, if I'm doing this, if I'm witnessing to my friends, then my life should go well. That's a lie. That's not the truth. In the everlasting state, in the new heavens and the new earth, yeah. Here, now, at this time of sojourning, no. All right, I should probably go to page two. And I should probably get to Matthew. Matthew chapter five, turn there with me. Maybe you're already there, thanks. There's no pages turning, so. All right, very good. Matthew 5, 13 
He's just finished with the Beatitudes and the blessings, and he turns to them, and he's just gotten done telling them that you can be, that the approved person before God can be someone who mourns, can be someone who is meek, can be someone who is poor. That the outward appearance of someone who is broken doesn't mean that they aren't approved by God. That's, that's the uh, Beatitudes. And he turns to them then and he says, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. And so Jesus has just gotten done telling us that the external is not a viable way to evaluate whether someone is blessed or not. And then he says, but your external needs to be great. You're a light. So show the truth, reflect the truth of God to the world around you. So he gets right back to the external. Uh, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that word fulfill is, is literally like you have a cup and it's empty and you fill it up. So it's to make it full, to make it whole to bring resolution to it. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks for the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If I had remembered, I wanted to have the uh, record skip right there. Jesus came, he says, to fulfill the law and the prophets. He was going to be accused of rejecting the law. That was going <laughs> to... One of the big accusations against Jesus that was going to lead him to the cross was that he rejected the law, he blasphemed the law, he blasphemed the temple, he blasphemed Yahweh. But he clarifies it right here at the very beginning. He came to wrap it up. He came to fulfill it. He came to show us what it was supposed to have looked like and to move God's plan along. The law and the prophets had been pointing to the Messiah, to the Christ, and now here he is. And that law revealed Yahweh. It revealed his character. It revealed his truth. And so it can never be lost. It can never be um, dismantled or torn apart or, or replaced in that way because it's always going to tell us the truth about Yahweh. It's always going to tell us who he is. It is un because he is unchanging, it will always stand. But not necessarily its covenants, which Jesus and Paul make clear. The Mosaic law, the covenant of Sinai, what we think of when we say the law of the Ten Commandments and the things that went with it, it was conditional. It wasn't unconditional like the Abrahamic covenant. It was conditional. But the law and the prophets didn't speak of the Mosaic law as the final word from God. But rather, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant. When we think law and the prophets, we think, oh, don't mix your fabrics, and you can't have two kinds of seed in the same field, and you have to don't murder, and don't steal, and don't lie. All that's true. But there was something new that was coming, and that's all part of the Law and the Prophets. The Law and the Prophets told us about the Messiah coming and the final kingdom of, of our God. The Law and the Prophets spoke of the Messiah King and his kingdom, and now that king was here. 
and that king was explaining how to get into his kingdom, and his answer was, you'd better have better righteousness than the Pharisees. And the crowd's response would have been, that's not possible. Because look at them. They tithe, they don't murder, they have fancy robes, they let their beards grow the right way. They know everything about Yahweh and we know nothing. In fact, most of us can't read, so we have no access to the law aside from what's being taught. It's impossible to have better righteousness than the Pharisees, they would have said. But Jesus was about to unpack that. And let me just ask you the question, because this is what their confusion was, what's righteousness? When I say to you, you better be righteous, and you had be, you had better be, you immediately think, okay, I gotta do better, I gotta stop doing this, I gotta stop doing that, I gotta stop doing that, I gotta start doing this, I gotta start doing that. And definitely righteousness has to do with our activity, but righteousness has to do with standing or approval before God. Remember, um, Abraham was out there <laughs> Uh, just willy-nilly going wherever God told him. And he's so confused and he's so, he's so scared at one point. And he's, Yahweh comes to him and says, I'm your great shield. I'm your reward. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you a, a blessing, a seed, a son. And you're going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And it says, and Abraham did tons of good works and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you're brand new, it doesn't actually say that. It says, and Abraham believed Yahweh. And that was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness, as Jesus is talking about here, is approval or standing. Righteousness is about a position. It is about a legal position that we have before our God. And that is gained by trust in Yahweh. It is gained by understanding our position before him. And so Jesus is not saying to them that they have to do more righteous activities or be more spiritual or have better beards. Jesus is saying that your approval before God had better be better than theirs because if it's not, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven, which means you're going to hell, which means Jesus was saying all these religious leaders of the day are going to hell. That's what he was saying. And the people would have been shocked at it. For the rest of the sermon, look, uh, Jesus is going to explain how to have better righteousness than the Pharisees. The rest of the sermon... We're going to see that. And the book, the rest of the book is going to keep touching in on these points. In fact, some of your reading this week um, did that very thing. I'm going to remind you of it when we, when we get there. But for the rest of this morning and the rest of this chapter, the first part of the answer is uh, congruity. How do you have better righteousness than that of the Pharisees? Have congruity between your inside and your outside. Between your faith and your actions. And so Jesus starts. You have heard it said, verse, verse uh, 21. You have heard it said, um, or you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. You know what? I'm sorry, here. 
I'm, I'm robbing you. Stand with me. I'm, we're going to be doing a bunch of standing and reading and sitting back down. So if you have trouble standing and reading and sitting back down, stay seated and read along. So stand with me. We're going to read. Here we go. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. All right, you have a seat. So Jesus starts with murder. That's an easy one. Now, I, I'm not saying it's not serious, but this is an easy one because you don't accidentally murder. And some of the, some of the OT law was tough to keep. You read through it and it's like, oh man, I would have I missed that one with some frequency. I would have had trouble with that. But I think Jesus starts with murder because it's kind of a, a straightforward one. It looks like he's playing a t-ball. But when you read it, he says, I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister... And some of, the, uh, some of the other texts say without cause, and it's going to become clear that that's, that's what he's getting at. Jesus was angry when he gets to the temple one day. Uh, anger with someone is not, but anger without cause. Um, have you ever insulted someone? Yep. Like this morning maybe, right? <laughs> like this isn't something you have to look way back and be like, oh man, have I ever insulted anyone in my life? Yeah, have you shown contempt for someone? Have you rolled your eyes or laughed mockingly? Someone in real life or someone on TV? A political party you don't agree with? Jesus is saying that you then have murdered in your heart and that someone who nurtures that, who, uh, who lives in that, is in danger of hell. And I'm sorry for making you say Raka in church this morning. I realized that was a lot of profanity, but it was Aramaic, so you probably didn't think about it. Next up, stand with me. So he goes on to adultery, and honestly, we're going to be like, oh, adultery, that should be another easy one that we don't accidentally slip into. But now we're a little sus of Jesus because... He tricked us with murder. Let's read it. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can be seated. Oh, man, Jesus. I would, we're not going to have a show of hands from the men of the audience, but I can guarantee you that every single man has had this problem. And by the way, so has every single woman. This guy gets me, he understands my needs, is maybe the, uh, is one of the female equivalents to this. Jesus says, oh yeah, so you've not committed adultery, good job. But have you wanted a woman that isn't yours? And 
And then he goes on and he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And we need to ask the question, how far will we go to pursue purity? What will we remove from our lives? What will we cut off? Oh, Sam, I can't live without a cell phone. Yeah, you can. Which, which is better? Hell or having a cell phone? I can't live without my Wi-Fi or my cable, or I can't live without... You pick it. I can't live without my bullying attitude. I can't live without my condescension at work. Because if I don't, then people aren't going to respect... you got to choose. Do you want to nurture rebellion in your hearts or do we want to nurture a relationship with God? Stand with me. Divorce. It has been said, say, sorry, let me st- I'll wait till you to stand up. There we go. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You can be seated. And so now Jesus here says, oh, so you made an oath. You made a covenant in front of everyone that you're going to love and cherish or whatever the words were that they would have used. But it definitely included exclusivity to this woman uh, for what God has put together. Let no man put asunder. And so there's a man all righteous and he's like, oh, I'm kind of tired of her. I kind of want this woman that I've been lusting over over here. So now I'm going to give her a certificate of divorce. Look at me. I've taken good care of her. I've given her a pass to reenter society. Aren't I righteous? And Jesus is dismantling their religious teaching. Uh, go ahead and stand with me. I told you, if you have problems standing, you don't have to do it. I'm not going to judge you. I don't even see you. I'm looking at the screen. Here we go. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And you can be seated. And so what Jesus is getting at, this congruity. Remember what I said? It's matching the inside and the out. And so here he is saying, you make an oath with the, that's outward and then you don't keep it. You have broken your word. And it, you know, when I was, well, I, I mean, I've never lied, but I've, I've been around people who do lie. And it often starts with, I promise you that We shouldn't need a promise. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. They would make an oath. I swear by Yahweh. I swear by the temple. I swear by the hair on my head that if I'm lying to you, may it all fall out. And Jesus' point is, you can't make the oath come true. So don't take it. Don't leverage something that isn't real. Just say the truth. And that's hard. 
Sometimes we say things that we think are true and then they're not and we have to go back and say, hey, I, saw, I know I said this. But he's saying, just say yes or no. Have congruity, have integrity in your life. You got comfortable? Let's stand. Here we go. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All right, so here, I think this, this section, uh, we don't have time to go into it, which is good. That way I don't reveal that I don't understand it all the way. But I think that what he's getting after is justice. We say there should be justice. There is an oughtness that ought to be um, happening in the world. And what that doesn't align with is the reality, the inward truth that we should be believing is that everything belongs to God. We are stewards of all things. And so when someone tries to take something from us or when someone has injured us, we say, let's get them back. Let's take back the thing and a little more. Um, but we are to let Yahweh navigate justice and the righting of wrongs. And so that's what Jesus is getting at in that section. <clears throat> Let me, there we go. I think this is your last one, it's, but it's a really good one. Go ahead and stand. The Bible's really good. Not sure if you're aware of that or not. Jesus in particular. Let's, let's read it. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You can be seated. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Veggie Tales. Uh, there's a character, Mr. Pincher, who's in the Star of Christmas. We watch the Star of Christmas as part of our Christmas routine. I highly recommend it. Uh, Mr. Pincher is a, um, a leak, I think, that's uh, in prison. And he's, he's rather uh, skeptical of humanity and, uh, and, the, and the goals of people. But he defines love this way. Giving up something for someone when they don't deserve it, when there's nothing in it for you, that's love. Going to someone who needs help when you won't get anything back, that's love. It isn't love to be kind to the people who will be kind to you. It isn't love to be kind or to give to people who can repay you. That's called business. That's a transaction. Love is sending rain on those who hate you and on those who love you. God could easily send rain on just the gardens of the righteous. 
And then Jesus says, they are to be perfect as their heavenly father is perfect. The bar, it seems, keeps raising. But it isn't. It's being clarified. In the Old Testament, in the Shema, when they've just been given the law, they are told to love Yahweh with their heart, soul, and strength. Heart is inside. Strength is outside. Soul is the two combined. Loving Yahweh can never be an external thing. Righteousness is never just an external thing. It is an internal relationship with him that has fruit on the outside. Jesus said we have to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And that sounds like, uh, that, that sounds really impossible. If you thought exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees was hard, try exceeding the righteousness of God or matching it. But the word perfect here is actually not a very good translation. The, the Greek is be complete, be whole, be finished. And what he's getting at is that the inside of Yahweh matches the outside of Yahweh. That he is complete in that what he says is what he is and what he does. And that's the call of Jesus to his people. That's how we get into the kingdom. We let the inside match the outside. That we don't just uh, say and put on a good act on the outside, um, but rather that we on the inside love Jesus. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Kip said, asked the question, do you think, I was gonna, no, I won't imitate him. It's pretty good. I did it in the speaking team and everybody laughed. Um, here's what he asked. Do you think God broke into our world so we can play a zero-sum game? Did the Father send the Son so that we could try to get members of WCC or Christ Covenant to come here instead? That's a fantastic question. The answer is no. But let me steal from Kip and use it this way. Do you think God broke into our world so that we can put on a good show? I really thought I was gonna get a lot of shouts of amen there. <laughs> I grew up Baptist and we shout amen. Do you think God broke into our world so that we can be peaceful with our hands but hateful with our social media posts? Did God break into our world so that on Sunday we can post Bible verses about our love or our love for our church and the rest of the week show off our success or mock the people that disagree with us? Jesus called that and the men who performed it whitewashed sepulchers. It, sepulcher is a tomb. It would have been too easy to put tomb. No tombs, please. I wanted you to wonder what a sepulcher is. It's an above-ground tomb that houses dead bones. And you can wash a sepulcher all you want, and there's still dead bones on the inside. We are at very great risk of being whitewashed sepulchers, of putting on a good show. We have another major problem in our culture, our Christian culture, and it's that we're fine with unwashed sepulchers. There's a move in, among modern evangelicalism that we don't, even, we don't even think we have to live righteous. We don't even think we have to live something that looks good. To attempt, we, they might say, to attempt to live lives of righteousness isn't necessary because of grace. Don't we have grace? I heard Justin say we have grace. I don't have to be righteous now. That's not what Justin meant. 
We don't have to live lives of righteousness. Um, it isn't necessary, or it may not even be good because we're unable to do it. We're unable to do it perfectly. So we're being hypocrites. So let's just live in the squalor. Some of our danger today is that we mouth words of righteousness with neither works nor heart. Now what? Step one, appraisal. An appraisal tells you what the thing's worth. <laughs> An appraisal tells you the truth about it, hopefully. I almost put self-appraisal, but man, I hate self-focus. Um, we need to be appraised by God, and so the psalmist puts it this way, and we have to be a participant in it. I get that. But here's what the psalmist said. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus' sermon is not a get-your-act-together sermon. Jesus' sermon is a, I'm going to tell you the truth, and now you have to look at yourself and see if your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. So that's what we need to do today. Today, like before you leave, the music's gonna start and you're gonna like spring up and go to the boathouse. I get that, but let someone else have that. Get treasure in heaven and stay here and spend time in appraisal. Or tell your spouse or your brother or your sister or your friend or your roommate, whoever you're here with, say, hey, I need, we need to do this appraisal later. Help me remember to do that if you gotta go somewhere. But we need to ask God to, to look inside us and show us the truth about ourselves because we can lie to ourselves. I don't think all the Pharisees were like, ha, 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 I'm evil inside. <laughs> I think they thought they were good. So we need to do some appraisal of ourselves, and we need to see if we have righteousness. And if, if I were going to put two words to it this morning, I'd say righteousness or salvation or entering the kingdom of heaven requires that we submit ourselves to Jesus and that we trust in him. That's the inside and the outside being the same thing. If we submit on the outside but we don't trust him, there's no heaven. If we trust him, there sure had better be <laughs> external actions. And if there aren't, then that should be a, hey, there's something wrong with the inside. Secondly, we need to reset to relationship. Most sermons, and mine too, and I'm sorry, it's just I don't know how else to do it. We focus on uh, behavior modification. And that's because a lot of the Bible is about, hey, don't do this and do that. So, so we got to do that. I mean, that, Jesus said it, right? Your, your light had better shine, so our behavior had better be good. But what we tend to do is try to just get our actions right and then we're okay. And that happens as a parent. You do that to your kids because if their actions are right, you look good and your life is easy because their actions are right and ah, things are smooth. When really, if we would just, if we would gun at the heart, if we would nurture love, if we'd say, here are beautiful things, let's engage those, then when the child or when I 
break from that, now we have a chance for repentance and to understand who God is and to have a relationship restored that points to relationship rather than better behavior. If you're murdering, you gotta stop. I mean, that much is true, but you're probably not. So what needs to happen is you need to start loving your brother and your sister. And we need to stop insulting them. But that's a heart thing. That's understanding who I am before Jesus and who they are before Jesus. And then let that spill out of us. If you have a problem with your, with your wife, men, uh, if you have a conflict, you can't get something, the answer is not go grab some flowers. That's an action, that's behavioral modification. Oh, if I bury some flowers, she won't notice I'm a jerk. She will. That's why I don't bring my wife flowers. She knows it. There's no point. If you have a problem, what do you do? Well, here's what you ought to do. You ought to talk and spend time together. Build a relationship. And the same is true with God. If you're far from him, the answer isn't, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to serve and I'm going to join a this and I'm going to do that. The answer is, know him. Engage him as a person. We have to reset to relationship and understand that it's a journey. I tried to think of some long-term friends. I have some from college, but I don't see them very much anymore. But I realized that Nick Deck, he's my brother-in-law, he's also a friend. He became a friend uh, before my wife and I were married. And he's, I just realized the other day, like, he's been my friend for 20-plus years. And there wasn't, and we, we keep growing in our friendship. And the, there wasn't a day when we said, ah, we're friends, we're done, we're good. No, you just keep growing and you keep knowing. And the same is true with God. And then finally, don't travel alone. I know you're like, oh, he's gonna make a push for life groups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am, and I'm gonna talk about Thursday night. Practicum, too. We can't travel alone. The call to relationship with Yahweh is not you and Yahweh and you're good. If that were possible, Yahweh would not have looked at the creation of Adam and said, well, we got to fix this. He needed other partnerships, and those were going to bring him closer and help him understand Yahweh better. They were going to help him live his life and fulfill his purpose and his mission. So you don't dare travel alone. And yeah, that's, that's a life group. That's an ABF. That's coming to church. Gathering wherever you are with friends in, in, your, in your living rooms, if that's what it looks like for you. For us, uh, the way we do it at the Yider household um, is that we have our Thursday night practicum where we practice the disciplines that God calls us to. Together over at the Hub, uh, Thursdays at 6.45 until 7.30. And we memorize truth about God. We do doctrine. Because we believe, and it's in the Bible, <laughs> that we have to think about good and true and noble things. So that's what we do. We let ourselves behold God. We sing together. We practice thanksgiving together. We pray about the things that God tells us to pray about. And we memorize scripture together. We meditate on it. Why do we do that? Because we're better? No. We do it because we understand that we need that. And my wife and I just one day realized we're just not doing this. How do we do it? We have to have accountability. Well, we've tried this and we've tried that. Let's do this. And it's been uh, beautiful and lovely. 
It's the way we do it. You're welcome to join us. It's, it's wide open, and maybe it would be a gateway to, uh, to, a, to joining a life group or an ABF, I don't know. Um, but it's what you need to do. We need to engage a relationship with Yahweh, and the way you do that is by thinking about the things he tells you to think about, by praying and talking with him, by engaging and memorizing scripture, by giving thanks. That's what you need to be doing at home. It isn't a Thursday night activity or a Sunday morning activity or a Friday night ABF or a life group activity. It is life. Our righteousness, our standing, has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And the reality is that we are all in danger of just being a whitewashed sepulcher. And the answer is not try harder, do better. If you heard that this morning, come down and talk to me, because that's not what I was saying, <laughs> and let me explain it. But the answer is know and engage and love God and deepen that relationship and go on that journey with people who love you. Father, I ask that you would help us to do that. Give us the courage to do the appraisal. Help us to be rightly connected with you. Help us to figure out how to build the disciplines that, that will help us to know you better into our lives in a way that keeps us from being pharisaical or just showy. And then give us good people to travel with, people who are of like mind and like goal, like target that we'd grow to know you and love you better and better. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Blessings on you.